Hey listeners, welcome to 10x Growth Podcast. This is your host Preeti Padmanabhan, technology executive, investor and board member. Today, we will feature the book Sacred Hoops authored by Phil Jackson. In this book, the Chicago Bulls coach Phil Jackson shares his experience of combining sports and spirituality to lead his team to success. Our guest today is Linda Tong, who is the general manager of Cisco. She has worked across numerous consumer and technology companies including Google, Tapjoy, Nextbit, the National Football League and Cisco AppDynamics. Welcome Linda. Thank you so much for having me, Preeti. This is so awesome and I'm I'm really stoked to be here today to talk to you about uh, this awesome book, uh, Sacred Hoops. Yes, Sacred Hoops. Why did you choose to read the book? <laughs> so I uh, I grew up in Chicago in the early 80s. So for anyone who uh, was around that time, you know, the Chicago Bulls happened to go on their repeat and their repeat in the 90s. And I got to watch the Chicago Bulls become the greatest basketball team of all time with Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan and, and the whole host of players. And, you know, to be honest, that was probably one of the most incredible times in in sports history, uh, at least within my lifetime. And so when you're a part of that, uh, for a lifetime, you're going to be a Bulls fan. And reading Sacred Hoops just comes with the territory. Uh, You know, learning about that experience, hearing about it in Phil Jackson's words, uh, that's just a thing that you got to do if you grew up in Chicago. That must have been so much fun to grow up amidst all that excitement. So I'm glad you lived through that. What are some top three takeaways you got from the book? Oh man, it you know it was such an incredible time, and and the things that Phil Jackson writes about in that book are are really awesome and incredibly valuable for me, at, you know, in my leadership journey today uh, that I took away. And you know, I think the most important one, you know, if you think about it, is the concept of team. Um, being being part of you know being the coach of the Chicago Bulls and and running you know arguably the most impressive team uh, in sports history. Uh, his top lesson that he talks about is about how people show up as a team, uh, setting the we before the me and being able to help them uh, think about the greater good as opposed to individual superstars that are trying to win this game. And that that's by far away the number one takeaway. We should we should talk a little bit about, more about that in a moment. But I think the other two that are really top of mind are, you know, one, uh, how Phil Jackson prepares and visualizes games and how he um, practices ahead of time and, and, and can, can game plan, because that ultimately is about how do you build resiliency as a team and as a leader uh, and prepare for these incredibly disruptive moments. And then, you know, the third takeaway uh, is about, and it really speaks to Phil Jackson's um, sort of uh, perspective on spirituality, which is once you have done all your preparation and once you've sort of gotten the team ready to, to prepare for these big moments, these games or these, um, you know, playoffs and things like that, it's, it really comes down to immersing yourself in the moment and then being able to go with the flow and being able to be flexible and guide your team as opposed to trying to control a situation and trying to control a moment in time. And, you know, when you think about leadership, I think important traits of great leaders are people who know how to build a team, people who can build resilience and people who know how to react in situations and go with the flow as opposed to trying to control it. So, you know, those are the three things that always sort of stick with me as I think about how do I lead my teams? How do I show up as a leader? And how do I help uh, guide us to success at, at AppDynamics? That is a fantastic summary, Linda. And now more than ever, and when we are working out of our home offices, 
building our team and keeping with the flow and getting them going is so important. Let's double down into some of those beautiful concepts you shared. Tell us about putting the we before me. Why is that important? Oh man, that, you know, I, I think the bulls did this better than anyone else. And this is, it's the perfect example to think about because, um, you know, when you look at professional sports teams, people talk about these superstar players. They talk about Michael Jordan, you know, today they talk about LeBron James, they talk about the, the MVPs, but the way that you win, the way that you show up, the way that you win playoffs or achieve these bigger uh, momentous sort of um, achievements, it comes because the team executes, the team works harmoniously, the team can get things done. And if you focus only on the me, the, the superstars, the individual contribution, um, that sometimes can win individual games that, that sometimes can help you, you know, surpass like a, a hurdle. But when you're tested and tried again and again, the team needs to show up, the we needs to show up. Otherwise, you can't sustainably win over time. And that was shown perfectly with the Bulls. They needed, um, you know, the, the biggest lesson that Phil talks about is how he turned Michael Jordan into, you know, from the savior of the Bulls, the number one player, the MVP, to being someone who learned how to play team basketball and how to lift up the teammates around him. Because as they were playing these games, uh, you know, their opponents, uh, the Pistons, you know, they would double, they would triple team Michael Jordan. And at some point, they could shut him down. And if you depend on him to win every game and the teams have figured out how to shut down your superstar and you don't know how to leverage the other four players on the court, then you've completely missed the point. And what the Bulls did incredibly well and why they won these championships was because they understood that other teams would focus on shutting down Michael Jordan. And they learned how to open up other players and play the triangle offense and move the ball around and be able to generate value from every player on the court. And everybody was doing something to add to the value of the game. And that's why they were able to win so consistently. And that's why the, they're the only team that's had a 3 P and a repeat within seven years. Like that is a huge achievement in sports. Um, so stepping away from sort of like the fact that I'm just like a huge Chicago Bulls fan, when I think about that in a work scenario, right? One, we're not working in teams of five, we're, we're working teams of hundreds of thousands of tens of thousands. And for a business to succeed, you need to bring so many people together. And very rarely can you can you win or lose or, or accomplish your biggest goals on the backs of a single person. You really need to leverage all of the strength of, of the entire population of your organization. You need to find ways that you can collaborate and work together, value everybody for what they bring to the table and help uh, ensure that everybody who's on your team can, can engage and partake and help uh, drive your business towards that goal that you're going after. And um, organizations that know how to build that sort of that mentality that we over me are the organizations that I see succeed because they can count on each other. They can leverage each other's strengths and they can achieve so much more. Um, and it's, you know, there's a saying that, you know, I've heard so many times where people say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And it's, I think that's sort of, um, almost like an, it's sort of like a continuous thought off of the we before me, because it is the concept of going far, going together and being able to recognize the value of that we. Um, so I, I know I can go on for hours about this, but this is, you know, at the core, how I think everyone needs to show up as leaders because the, the types of things that we're trying to do in life, the types of things that we're trying to do at work, the types of things that we're trying to do, you know, over a course of time really uh, deliver more value when we do it as teams, as opposed to as individuals. Absolutely. I loved how you summarized the Chicago Bulls 
uh, strategy for gaining team victory and how you parlayed that to leadership and and how to build teams and companies. Love that. And uh, certainly, you know, we before me is something all of us can practice. And I also love the quote you said, if you wanted to go far, then we have to go as a team. Uh, fantastic, Linda. Uh, tell us about visualization. You brought that point in the key takeaway. And Phil talks about visualizing the game ahead of time and mentally preparing for tough times. How does the how does that help the team and the leader? Yeah, this was, you know, this was a concept that prior to reading the book, I hadn't, I hadn't ever thought of it specifically. I think I, you know, unconsciously had experienced it. But, you know, what Phil describes in the book is um, before game, uh, before these these critical moments, he would find these opportunities to either go sit in a locker room quietly and you know in the dark and just sort of think, or he would tell his teams to take time, you know, an hour, thirty minutes before a game, to just imagine the game and let it play out. And they would imagine everything that would happen. They would imagine stealing the ball. They'd imagine getting these baskets. They'd imagine getting fouled. They'd imagine, you know, getting enraged and like having these sort of heated moments of conflict. And by imagining all these scenarios, they were also imagining their reactions to it, how they would prepare, how they would act in the moment. And they were prepared so that when these moments happened on the court, suddenly they were able to handle them with this sort of um, almost this like muscle memory because they had mentally prepared for it. And as a result, you know, one of the, you know, one of the tactics against, you know, one of the bulls, like number one sort of like enemy was pistons is they, the pistons would always try and sort of like physically like bully up against the players. You know, they'd, they'd foul them really hard. You know, basketball was a, a lot rougher of a sport back in the nineties and in the eighties. And they, these players would imagine these moments that normally when someone's like bodying up on you and pushing you off the ball and hitting you and, and taking you out, like your initial reaction, if you haven't prepared for it is like, it's ferocity, right? You're ready to like push back or punch them or, or, you know, sort of yell in their face. And in those moments you get fouls, you get technicals, you get kicked off. And what happened was the Bulls had mentally prepared for these moments that when they were being fouled or when they were sort of being uh, sort of attacked by the opposing players, they reacted with calm and they didn't let that set them off their game. They expected those moments and they just kept playing and they executed. And they're able to handle these moments of, of, you know, what would normally have turned into fights with this sort of measured patience and I thought that was really incredible because the way that Phil described it in the book is something that I think I've always thought about in my work life. I've always thought about in terms of how we lead as a team. Uh, you know, I've always been a product person. So you imagine laying out your product scope, laying out a roadmap, planning for what you want to deliver and the value you want to deliver to customers. The things that you don't plan for, but like in the back of your mind, you know, it's going to happen are, you know, some things are going to get delayed. You're going to build something. And when you test it out, it's going to break or you're going to ship something and, and bugs are going to pop up or there's going to be an outage or a customer is going to file an escalation, but all these things happen and you can start to mentally prepare for them. And if you prepare for them, you set these expectations that when those moments happen, you're ready to jump on them, or you've already mentally allocated the time to deal with it because you know, it's going to happen. You don't assume that everything's going to be perfect. And I think it's, 
that idea of visualizing it, you know, to me, it's about not just visualizing what's going to happen in game planning for it, but it's also managing your expectations so that in the moment when, when, when these sort of events happen, you, they don't knock you off, right? They don't set off your emotions. You're, you're calm, you're cool, you're collected. You have a game plan in place. And it's just going through these motions that you've already prepared your mind for. You've already prepared game plans for and alternative situations for. And so it's just about executing against a plan that you've already laid out. And I, I think that that was something that I've never heard someone write about and communicate in a book. Um, but it was just so perfectly stated in Sacred Hoops and is incredibly um, valuable when you think about how you can apply that to life. Love it. Love the visualization technique. You know, I can, What I'm hearing is that by visualizing, you're able to choose your response to a situation. You don't let the situation take control of you. And that's phenomenal. I certainly think I'm going to use it consciously. Like you said, we all do it unconsciously, but now doing it consciously will make me a better leader. And the listeners are also going to gain from that. Thank you for sharing that. Totally. Let's talk about the clear mind. And you talked about the mindfulness and spirituality piece. So Phil talks about having a clear mind and being present, and that helped him achieve more than just using his skills. Tell us more about this and how have you benefited from that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that he talked about in terms of having that clear mind and being present in these games was um, he 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 gave this um, he gave this example in the book that when he talked to other coaches, some of their feedback was that they didn't have control over their players, like they they needed this authority because they needed to control the game and be able to tell people what to do and like constantly have these sort of um, strongholds so that they could just manage a game as it went. And, you know, Phil talked about it as, oh no, like I, I don't need that control. Like I, I just show up and I'm present and I don't need to, I need, I don't need to have to own or structure every single situation that I'm in, but instead he was just there. Right. And he, and it was about living in that moment, letting the moment sort of happen, recognizing that, you know, it wasn't about driving it, but instead uh, realizing it and then moving with it and frankly, just rolling with it. Um, And I think that's what a lot of them have such a clear mind because one, he wasn't actively trying to take control. Two, he'd done everything he could do leading up to that moment. He'd prepared his team. He had, you know, he had coached him. He'd done everything. And in addition to that, he, you know, he had this sort of peacefulness, right? He'd done the visualization that we just talked about. He had given his team all the skills that they needed. And so suddenly everything he was doing was just analyzing a moment, being present and, you know, allowing his team to execute. And then where he saw opportunities, where he recognized moments where he could add value, he did. And I think that's what it is about being a leader as well. It's, you know, giving up control is one of the scariest things to do as a leader. You always feel like you need to be making decisions. You always feel like you need to be telling people what to do. You always feel like you need to be sort of like owning a strategy. Um, and the problem is that as a leader, that puts you in a position where it chokes your team. It um, it puts them in the position where they're dependent on you. And, you know, and many times it turns into like author- authoritarian leadership or it turns into micromanagement. Like if you go to very extreme cases. And I think really good leadership is leadership that um, is present, empowers their teams, trusts them to make decisions, guides with 
clear strategy, but really, you know, provides this sort of delegation to teams to own and execute. And then as, you know, as that execution goes on and as the teams progress, it's about being able to carve out that time to be present so that when things pop up, when situations happen that are unexpected, that are beyond your visualization, you're able to provide guidance and support um, and, and help the team sort of navigate those transformations. And, um, you know, it's it's such an important, it's such an important leadership trait that's so hard to communicate because it's it's a trait that's experienced over time, not one that happens in a single moment. And it, it's and, and that sort of um, ability to let go of control for a su- sustained period of time because you've created trust and you've been able to like set a very clear strategy North Star for your team is something that you know, some people say they want to do, I say, I want to do it all the time, but it's very easy oftentimes to feel like you need to like pause and grab control and you have to constantly tell yourself to let go. And, um, you know, it's something that I think still spirituality really helped him in it. Um, and for me, this is definitely something that I'm, I, I'm always working on. That's great. I think uh, you summed it up so well, right? Letting go, being with the flow and trusting the team yet having their back. I, I think that's phenomenal. And, That's something that all leaders can aspire to and continue to practice. There is also the mention of a supportive environment, right? Creating a supportive environment for teams to feel secure from the constant scrutiny and pressure from failures, right? Oftentimes we have failures what are your tips to create a supportive environment in the organization? Yeah, it, failure is such an interesting concept. Um, you know, when you, there's this sort of, uh, th- there are a lot of people who talk about agile and fast moving companies that, you know, fail fast, learn quickly. And that's so great. But when people talk about innovation and failing fast, they always say you have to create room for failure. You have to create safety. Um, and the reality is it, it's easy to say it's really hard to do. And, you know, I think it's, the reality is you have to first go in and accept the fact that not everything you do is going to be a success. Um, and you have to have that expectation such that when people are executing on an idea or a plan or trying something out new, if it doesn't work, your first response can't be disappointment, right? Like the, you have to approach failure in a way that is supportive. And the way that, that you support failing fast, the way that you provide your team support is go in with an open mind. Recognize that failure is not a, is not a bad thing, but rather it's a learning experience. And that it's something that's going to help you build resilience and help you make the successes that are down the line that much more meaningful. Um, And so I think it's one, it's about reorienting a definition of what is failure. Uh, And then two, I think it's about making sure that as leaders showing up and creating that space such that people aren't attached to that traditional definition of failure. Um, And it's, you know, I think Phil had to do that for the Bulls, like hundreds of games you're going to lose some, right? And if you feel like you have to win every single game, um, your team's never going to be successful. And they had to learn how to roll with the punches and they had, you know, public scrutiny all the time. If an individual player missed a shot or they messed up, like there was this sort of, you know, it's tough when you're a sports team. Like people people look at that and there's a lot of pain and noise and, and, and volume and news articles that are coming out the very next day that analyze the success and failures of the game and sort of they pick apart the, the players. And what Phil did was he, he kept his team separate from that right he made sure that they weren't focused on the news he did he tried to block them from too much media um and he tried to focus on what do they learn what do they do well how do they continue to like grow as a team and he didn't let them soak in that failure he didn't let them soak in those problems um and i think as as leaders as we you know reorient the definition of failure i think another part of it is making sure that as we treat it as a learning experience 
um, you know, we have to make sure that we don't allow failure to, to be something that sort of takes our teams down and, um, and, and it's something that people are afraid of. Uh, and, and we have to find ways to, to get past it. And I think that's, you know, it, it's really tough to do. And that's a, a supportive environment is one that gives people that sort of psychological safety that shows them that it's about learning. It reorients those definitions. And then it gives them the space to go do this time and time again. So with repeated experience, failing fast multiple times, but the ultimate goal of finding success, you know, I think when you give people that time to do that and they prove it out themselves, success breeds more success, right? Like you just, if you go through those motions over time, you'll find yourself more and more, um, you know, finding really positive outcomes. Absolutely. Uh, Certainly giving that uh, space to take risks and then experiment and maybe fail at some point will give more uh, confidence to the team members uh, to move forward. Let's talk about being an invisible coach. So Phil called himself as the invisible coach. What does that mean? And how does one build a high performance self-sustaining team? Yeah. So, I mean, this, this plays back to that previous point around um, sort of this, his ability to be present, right? Like he, he wasn't the coach that was on the sidelines. that was constantly yelling at people and telling them what to do and calling out plays. Like there are a lot of, there's a lot of footage of Phil actually, where you'd see him just sitting there watching the game unfold every now and then he'd say something, but like he, he was an invisible coach because ultimately what happened was um, he had already imparted all of his knowledge and wisdom on the team. He had set them up. He'd given them the skills. He's built it up in practice. They'd gone through the motions again and again and again. And by the time, you know, they got into these moments, these games, these, you know, playoffs, um, his team had everything they needed. And so he had almost, he coached them so well that, you know, by the time they showed up in those moments, his coaching was, was there. It was in the back of their minds. It was, it was in how they acted. It was in their default muscle movement and motions and how they acted. And, um, it's, it's really about setting your team up for success and, and empowering them with everything you can so that when they get to the moments that are testing them, they don't need you there. They already have everything they need. Um, And a big part of leadership is about doing that. It's about, you know, frankly, one of the scariest things, like as you evolve in your career and step into leadership positions, it's about building an organization that can be incredibly successful without you. Um, You know, succession planning is something that very few people talk talk about because it's, uh, you know, you you sort of like assume it's like for worst case scenarios, you get hit by a bus, who's going to take over? But the reality is good leaders create organizations that are sustainable without them and set organizations up for success. Um, such that they work themselves out of a job. And that's really good leadership. It's, it's because you've helped your teams get to that level that um, they're ready for the next step and they can take on more and they have all the lessons they need from you. And I think Phil is really good at that. And like, you know, he didn't talk about it in Sacred Hoops, but he talked about it in other inter- like interviews. Like he sort of, he always had this mentality of going uh, from team to team, like never really staying too long because it's, there's a concept of like building something up and letting it flourish and then moving on to the next thing. But like it, he created this sort of independence for his team where he would get them to a level where they could sort of execute and operate without him. And at some point he would make himself more or less irrelevant. I mean, no one would ever say Phil Jackson's irrelevant. He's one of the greatest coaches of all time, but like it's the idea of uh, preparing and over-preparing your team such that they aren't going to depend on you in in the moments that count because you've already made them so successful and and then they're ready to go. um, And they're sort of like ready to leave that nest. Like that's a, it's a glorious feeling as a leader and as a coach. And I think that's really, you know, that's what he's been calling himself 
myself as like an invisible coach, but it's, it's truly like, you know, that the most meta level of leadership. That's fantastic. I can see that how the being an invisible coach helped him build more leaders within his team and they were able to take the ball forward. This is phenomenal, Linda. I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on sacred hoops. Were there any parting thoughts you want to share with our listeners here today? Uh, You know, the one thing I think that's been really valuable for me that, you know, given my experience, you know, at the NFL and like just being a a sports fanatic and finding myself in a position of leadership, you know, I think it's what I, what I've learned from sports teams more than anything else is how we build teams, how we are, how we build success together as part of larger organizations and how we show up for each other and have each other's backs has been more and more important, especially during this pandemic than anything else, right? Like the, the importance of team um, in, in culture are just really, I think, forefront for every organization that I've talked to uh, in the past year and a half. And I think it's for anyone who hasn't read the book or for anyone who doesn't, you know, love sports, um, I would say leaders, like there is a lot of value in looking at how great teams win. Um, and there are a lot of great lessons to learn. And I think those lessons are especially relevant now more than ever. Fantastic. And it's such a short book. uh, So certainly leaders encourage all of you to pick up Sacred Hoops. Thank you, Linda, for being part of 10x Growth Podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was really great chatting with you. 